Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. If you've been following along this season, you've likely just finished listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Today, you'll get to hear the author and editor, Jennifer Gunnels, discuss the audiobook and Dewis's upcoming third entry in the Divide series, The Relentless Legion. I'm J.S. Dewis, author of the Divide series, which includes The Last Watch, The Exiled Fleet, and the forthcoming The Relentless Legion. And I'm Jennifer Gunnels, and I edited all of these wonderful books. Thank you for joining us for this audiobook bonus conversation. So I have a bunch of questions to ask you about the book that people always want to know about writing books and, and all the good stuff, the inside scoop. So I remember, Jenny, that you remarked ages ago that the inspiration for this book and the series as the whole was a song. And I do remember that your parents got you this cool plaque or something that had the sound wave of that song to celebrate the initial publication of the book. So why don't you share what that song was and why it led you to do these books? Yeah, so the song was called The Highwayman by the country music supergroup, The Highwayman. Um, And it's a specific lyric, actually, that says, I fly a starship across the universe divide. And it always fascinated me as far as, like, what do you mean the universe divide? Like, what does that mean? Like, what happens if you pass through it? What happens if you, you know, if the universe were to stop expanding? Like, what does that mean? And that just really kicked off, like, the rest of it. You know, if there was an actual edge, what would happen? If there's something beyond it, what would happen? It's a whole physics kind of can of worms. (laughs) Um, But it was really fun to explore all that. And it became actually a much larger part of the IP. You know, I'm kind of a concept up writer, so I always like that, like, hooky concept, and then it kind of build out everything from there. Um, And it actually just became this huge part of the story and IP, like, way more than I anticipated as the series progresses. That's awesome. I love it when you get that lyric where, what did he say? What does that, but what does it mean? And it really launched some, some great characters and some great circumstances in the universe of The Divide. This next question, I had to kind of giggle a little because it's, what does your writing process look like? <laughs> and Chaos. <laughs> I know that when I video chatted with you, um, when we did editorial discussions, you'd have in your home office and there would be post-its of various colors on every available surface that I could see. And then calendars. And really alarming number of different colored highlighter pens and markers. And how do you think that your process has evolved over the course of these books? And even more interestingly, you're a screenwriter. So how does that process vary from writing a book to writing for the screen? Yeah, so my writing process um, for novels, it varies quite a bit depending on what stage I'm on. Generally, it's chaotic. I have to kind of adhere to my ADHD-ness um, <laughs> to kind of ha- try to harness that energy. Um, but I have some cheats that help me, like standboard. Music is a big one, like we talked about with the lyrics. I'm always listening to some kind of music, whether it have lyrics or just be, you know, instrumental music i have tons of curated playlists for all oh, the different yeah the stories. spotify for the last watch yeah. is absolutely banging <laughs> and it's those are wonderful. actually just pared down ones just for the sake of everyone's sanity mine are like eight times that long 
for each one. And there's one for each book and there's one for each character. And there's like one for certain relationships of like between the main characters just to like get that vibe thing going. Um, And, you know, that's a good one for me to sit down and just like have that in my ears. And it really just puts my brain in that mode. And visuals are a really big one, too. I spend so much time on Pinterest and ArtStation just looking for, you know, visual inspiration to help with everything. And in that same sort of vein, fonts are actually really big for me. I change them up a lot, but I I have specific fonts for specific books. So (laughs) when my brain sees that font, it knows, okay, we're working on the Relentless Legion now, or we're working on Rubicon or whatever. Um, It just kind of helps trigger that something in me that automatically like brings up all the stuff in my brain for that said book. But not in Comic Sans, right? You don't ever you use know, Comic Sans. I do sometimes. Oh, God. <laughs> so the trick with Comic Sans, <laughs> when I'm editing, I actually love to switch it to Comic Sans because once you've stared at it for so long, so many times and read it so many times, it just starts to look the same. So if you change it to just a font that does not take itself seriously, it just turns mm-hmm. a different thing on in your brain and you can kind of look at the text for what it is and not just kind of get caught up in what you've already read a million times. Wow, things I never even knew because I get everything in Times New Roman, 12 Next point, I'll send double space. Oh my God, I will kill you if you send it to me in Comic Sans. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, I forbid it. Um, so a lot of people might not know that you've recently gone on to write for video games, which I was very excited for you to have this. Um, so how does your approach for writing novels differ from your writing approach for video games? Yeah, so there's quite a few differences, and I'm still learning on the video game side and the novel side, so it it changes over time. But one of the biggest differences I noticed is in novel writing, it's very solitary. So, like, I've been a lifelong introvert, so I love that. It doesn't really bother me. But after coming up through film, I hadn't really realized how much I missed collaborative storytelling. So when I started in video games, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a totally different muscle that I forgot I had in my body. that I want to exercise that is just completely different than novels on that side of things, which, you know, you have your beta readers and your editors and people that you can talk to about the novel, but it's just, it's still very much your own thing out of your own soul, whereas video games are super collaborative, you know, and not only with your co-writers, but with everyone on the team, especially at our studio, we're really pushing the collaboration across the teams. Um, So we're always like asking for and seeking feedback and ideas from everybody. Um, We're not like off on our own crafting a story and then we're dictating what happens. You know, it's a very group process between, you know, 60, 70 plus of us now at this point. Um, So it's always evolving in that way. And that's just exciting to kind of like get that sort of social experience when on the other side of things with novels, it's a little more like intrinsic to myself. Yeah, so it's more like a a roundtable writer's room sort of situation where maybe, you know, 10, 20 core writers are contributing. Do any of you ever have to, do you parse it out in terms of like character? Like one person kind of has a character that they really, really love and they give more suggestions for that? Yeah, so I wish we had that many writers. We actually <laughs> um, we actually have not too many writers. So it was me for about nine months, and then we had um, a lead writer start, someone who actually had veteran experience in the industry. Um, and it's been just me and him for the last um, almost two years, and then we just had a third one start um, this year. So it's really just kind of the two of us and now the three of us that have been working on things. And the creative director, Casey, has been like involved in the process mm-hmm. as well, but not doing much of the actual writing. Um, and now now we're sort of getting into the production stage where we are starting to break things out between us. So like I'm taking one of the crewmate characters and we're each taking like a hub location mm-hmm. of where we'll go in the game. And then we're all sort of breaking up the missions and we'll still like 
you know, we'll get in the writer's room and we'll like share our work and like collaborate on that side of things. But we're at least going to be responsible instead of us all co-writing everything. We'll be responsible for each of those things separately, which will be a sort of a different thing. But I think it'll be really fun. Well, speaking of advocating and liking certain characters over other certain characters, I know my answer to this question, but I'll ask you first, which one of your characters would you want to meet in real life? And what would be the first thing you'd say? Ugh, this is a really. A I know one. they're all so good. It's really, really <laughs> hard. Like, I want to meet them all. Um. <laughs> and and we have to make sure that we stick to characters that are in the last watch, yes, which I think right. is horribly unfair. Yes. <laughs> um, I guess my first instinct would probably be Mesa. She's just like this fascinating Same. mix of like crazy smart but also emotionally intelligent and i just think she'd be a really fascinating person but also puck comes to mind um i think he'd be one of those people who's just impossible not to like and like could carry on a conversation with you like as an introvert i always appreciate those kind of people who can just like have a conversation with you and it's not any work at all and i feel like he'd kind of be one of those people which would be fun yeah i'm i'm a mesa fan myself so, yeah it's um, a good choice and, and for people that want to do some extra reading, you have little bits of short fiction about the various characters that we meet in The Last Watch. So yeah, totally check that out. Um, but yeah, Mesa is just such a fascinating mystery. And you just, you know, the second, the second she steps into a scene, there are these things that you know are going on underneath the surface that is Mesa and that you're not going to know what those are. And that fascinates me. Yeah. And I, I also, I have a soft spot for Rake, who's just sort of incredibly hyper-competent and just keeps finding herself in these messes, but has this attitude of, well, okay, so we're here now. Uh, I guess we better do something. And I just, that resonates with me so much as a parent. <laughs> And and I mean, Rake is kind of apparent to some of these characters in terms of like managing the the situations. Um, just to hawk the book a little bit more, the last watch is the the first of two books that are currently out, and a third soon to be released later on this year. So there are more characters, and it's really fun, and it carries over, and you'll definitely find some some fun new characters that you like too. Um. Everyone listening to this conversation just finished the audiobook. Yes. You finished it. You're thinking, oh, my God, that was the most amazing thing I've ever read. It needs a Nobel Prize. It needs a Pulitzer. It needs to win eight Hugos in a row. And so the question is, what was it like to hear your words come to life in Andrew and Nicole's voices? It was Super surreal and very exciting. I am a big audiobook listener, have been for many years. So it was one of the things I was looking forward to the most. And my husband's also a big audiobook listener. And he was always asking, like, when, what are we going to hear the audiobook? Like, when's that coming? I want to listen to the audiobook. Um, so it was really exciting and just super interesting to hear the like subtle differences that they'd bring to the performance. Like, I always love when I'm listening to it. I do listen to them. Um, and when you hear a line and they interpret it in a way that you never heard in your head, it's a completely different way of saying it, but it like is a million times better than what you <laughs> had imagined. And you're like, oh yeah, that is a much more interesting, better way of saying that. And it's just, it bring it breathes new life into it that you just, you know, I really love just reading physical books as well, but there is a very different experience with an audiobook that's really exciting. 
Was there a specific scene that either one or both did that really, really changed the way you thought about that scene, even though you wrote it? Um, I do remember listening to there's a scene where Rick's sort of helping Cavalon during an EVA. They're out like fixing oh, a spaceship yeah. on the outside of the ship. And he's probably um, hyperventilating. And he's hyperventilating and freaking out. Yeah. And she's like calming him down. Um, and I just remember like thinking that however Nicole portrayed <laughs> Rake in that scene was just like much like the nuance of like balancing between being stirred with him, but be also being like soft and be like trying to help him through it and being quieter about it like that balance was just really interesting and well done and you know throughout the whole book there were there were these moments here and there where that same thing would happen where i'd be like oh yeah that like nails the characterization just perfectly and it's just it's super exciting i know some authors have said oh yeah i just show up and the characters are talking and i write down what they're saying so does something similar happen with you? Um, do you imagine the characters' voices in your head as you're playing out these scenes? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, like, coming from screenwriting especially, like, dialogue is just such forefront in that, um, that, like, dialogue has always kind of come naturally to me, and I just hear them mm -hmm. talking to each other, and that'll happen a lot, like, especially while I'm drafting or first, like, coming up with the idea, you know, if I go on a walk or something, and they'll just start having a conversation about something in my head, and then that turns into a whole subplot or something, and they just kind of naturally talk to each other, and that's a lot of how I discover characterization as well, because mm -hmm. I very rarely go into a book knowing anything about the character other than maybe their most basic circumstance, um, and they kind of reveal their wants and needs throughout, and then, you know, in editing, you go through and, and fix some of that. But to start with, it's always fun to just, like, let the characters talk to each other and discover who they are that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really liked was the dialogue. I mean, you do this really snappy, poppy, quippy dialogue. It's, like, really easy to play it out as a film in your head, which completely makes sense given your background. And so when I approached the editing on the book, it was really more like I have a theater background, so it was more like doing dramaturgy for a new play because there was there was such a great set of character arcs and there was so much dialogue to work with to get them from their point A to their point B over the course of the book. And that that wonderful unfolding of the character's interiority and the unfolding of their relationships with one another as they developed was just really, really awesome to get a chance to, like, work with and, um, you know, kind of get dirty up to the elbows and be like, oh, yeah, but what about this and this and this? And I really, really – it was like getting to spend several hours over the course of the day with some really cool people I wish I could go drinking with. And that's one of the things that I really loved about the book. It's like I feel like I could go drinking with these people and it would be oh, a yeah. good time. That would be fun, yeah. We'd probably get arrested, <laughs> but it would be yeah, a good time. That's okay. Um so we've got a third novel coming up in the Divide series, The Relentless Legion. Uh, that's going to be coming out in November of 2024. So as a writer, what did you learn from the first two books that helped you as you worked on the third? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so much, primarily <laughs> because um, like The Last Watch was the second book I'd ever written. You know, the one before that mm -hmm. was a practice book, as they say. Um, <laughs> So last watch, you know, I was a pretty young writer when I wrote that, and then I wrote another book in between, and then I wrote The Exiled Fleet. So it was, The Exiled Fleet was the fourth book I'd ever written and the first sequel I'd ever written. So I kind of learned through the process of writing that sequel how to write a sequel, and 
all the nuance of bringing, you know, what do you bring over from the first one? What do you leave Mm -hmm. behind? Like, what do you progress? Like, how much do you introduce? How much do you remind the reader about versus what do you leave behind? Um, So there's a lot of that, like, balancing that I learned um, throughout. And then the same sort of happened with The Relentless Legion, where it's like, okay, I learned that. I can kind of take what I know from that into this third book and just learning that in the exile fleet made the relentless legion so much easier to draft because of that yeah and i could and i can tell that it's easier for you and it's because i get to focus on different things Mm-hmm. So with the first one is kind of like, no, you have to do all the things. And then the second one is like, oh, okay, well, the second book, they've nailed this down, but now you have to look at this. Now that you've gotten this done, let's go over to here. And so I've noticed that you're writing as you've progressed as a writer, there is an ease to it and a, a sense of being very, very comfortable with the world and with the characters. And it comes out as reading much more easily. There's there's very little that's forced. There's very little that's awkward. There's some stuff that, like, this doesn't belong here. This belongs over here. But at that level, I can play with the frame as a whole and not be looking at little bitty bits and bobs. And it's when you get to play with that frame as a whole that it starts to get super fun. Mm-hmm. As as a as the editor and author relationship goes, because now I can like now we can play with stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so this question, oh God, this question is a minefield. So, what is something you're excited for listeners to discover in the Relentless Legion? Give us a teaser, and all I can think of is like, oh my God, is there anything that we can give them that won't completely wreck them, <laughs> um, or spoil a giant chunk of book two? God, what can we I can, tell them? I can think of one thing that is very vague, but I don't know. I think it's enticing. So um, so in The Last Watch and The Exile Fleet, it's alternating perspectives between Rake and Cavalon, um, right. the two main characters. And then in The Relentless Legion, there will be a third perspective, um, which yes. I think is kind of interesting and was incredibly fun to write. Um, and I think it will be an interesting sort of teaser. I won't tell you who it is, but... <laughs> Yeah, can, that yeah. that is that is one thing that we can tell them that we there is a third point of view that's added in there that's very very necessary, really super interesting, and is really sort of some aspects of that really mess with your head mm-hmm. about what you think <laughs> is actually going on and what the characters think is going on. And it, it, yeah, it becomes a really interesting uh, thought puzzle to to go through. But yeah, we can't give you much else because otherwise. I mean, spoilers. just spoilers. Spoilers. So many yeah. spoilers. So it's like a little spoilers. minefield out here. <laughs> oh, God. Now we get to ask me questions, Lord. Hey, my turn. <laughs> okay, it's your turn. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, I guess you kind of talked about this a little bit already, but I guess we can get into more details. Like, what initially drew you to the series? Um, what did you want to edit about these stories? Like, what, what enticed you initially about it? Every time... I sit down. Okay, first of all, it's not that I don't like fantasy. I do like fantasy, but I'm a science fiction girl at heart. And I love epic, but I also really love strong characters and really good dialogue. And what I really loved about these books is that you have this epic cinematic sprawl of a story, but it's still reads is very intimate throughout because you have these close character relationships, especially that 
burgeoning codependent relationship between, you know, Cavalon and Rake. And I really loved that messy, found family. And they're not even really family just yet. And to have all that going off against essentially the universe is collapsing and ending, you know, that's kind of a really large thing to deal with. And then the the other big thing, I think I think we started coining this in the office when I read this as a submission, but it is an exercise in competency porn. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> these horrible things happen and these people are like, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm going to give it a go. And they just kind of cobble something together that works as best as possible. And there's just deep deep Bob Vila kind of satisfaction with, that's fine, I'm going to just, you know, take apart this bomb and we're going to use fuel to make the... And I loved that. It was it was kind of this, what I always loved about it when I was a kid reading stuff, and it's what always kind of calls me back to science fiction, and that's, there is this massive, massive problem, and a bunch of people could die, things could get horrible really quick, but let's work with each other's expertises to figure out how we can at least maybe last a little longer. Um, and I, those were the things that really, really drew me into to getting the book and doing the series. Nice. That's great. Um, so I guess as far as the series goes, then, um, how do you think my writing has changed throughout the series? Um, you talked a little bit about that before, but as it progressed, how, how have things changed? You've gotten much more confident at what you're doing. Um, that first book, which wasn't your first book, but you had a kind of tentativeness, almost like you didn't quite trust yourself enough. And then as we started working on the exiled fleet and dealing with the opening and ending framework of that and carrying over from the first book, the willingness to wrestle with that and be uncomfortable and try different things just to see if it would work And we tried, what, like four different things before Mm -hmm. we settled on, no, this is it. And so that was a boost in your confidence because you were willing to get messy with it. And then I think with this third one, you really knew what you were doing. You felt far more comfortable with the characters, more comfortable with the situations. And you could see that. And that allowed you to problematize the characters themselves and really get messy and have different things happen, some good, some bad, some complicated and somewhat fraught. So I I think you've really progressed at becoming more comfortable with what you do and growing into the confidence that, yeah, I can throw words around, uh, which has been really, really cool. One thing that readers will find very interesting, and it's not just you, one of the peculiarities with authors is they have favorite words. And the words keep coming up over and over and over and over again in the book. And Jenny's would change from book to book. And it was always absolutely, it was like Christmas. I would sit there and count them and just for funsies. And I think for the first one, a lot of the editing was she can't keep collapsing on his chest. That was that was a big one. His bear-like chest, I think, was the, the, the term or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then in the second book, there was a lot of body fluid. Mm-hmm. That was that was entertaining. And what was it with the third one? It was like a building descriptor, I think. Mm. Like there was a, like lot there of, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And and that has always been kind of fun 
And that almost is kind of a guide to me on what you think the theme is going on because you keep repeating these very particular words or these very particular descriptions. And so mm-hmm. that is almost a cue to me to like zero in on certain things. And we can we can move those things out of the way, but now we can bring out the stuff that those different words were trying to get at. And that has also been really, really fun to watch. Because yeah, it's different every time. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's the bane of my existence for some reason. I, I it's just the bane love of to every repeat those words. Existing. I've actually I mean, found a just, good um, hack for that. I listen to my books now. I use a text-to-speech reader. Um, and I listen to them. And it's so much easier to pick out repeated words when a oh, robot yeah. says a word over and over again. You're like, man, I used lips 18 times in this chapter. <laughs> I should probably <laughs> change that. It's like there's a lot of mouth things going on. What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> So are there any other questions that you have for me? Or? You had said something at the end of your previous question. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. You were talking about my confidence in writing and how it's um, improved throughout the series and how the third book especially felt like I just kind of knew the characters and it just triggered something in my brain. I actually wrote a lot of fan fiction prior to starting novel writing. Um, <laughs> and the third book for me really felt a lot more just like writing fan fiction for my own books because, you know, there's so much that's already established. There's so mm-hmm. little that I have to figure out along the way that it's just basically writing fan fiction for my own stuff. And, you know, I've listened to them as audiobooks over and over again. So, like, I've become a fan of my own first two books. And then I now just you get have to, to write come a fun up with third a, one. You have to come up with a pseudonym so that you mm. can go on Archive of Our Own and you can write your own fan fiction, but Maybe under I already a pseudonym. Do. You don't know. <gasps> Maybe you do. Yeah. You never know. Now, now we're going to start a stampede to see if people can unmask you or something. <laughs> My husband always threatens to, to write yes. like smut fan fiction between like Mason Cavalon or some random pairing. <laughs> Oh my I'm like, God, you that go would be right awesome. ahead. Like, Will you let amazing. me edit it before you post it? Because that would <laughs> sure. be really cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you do have some stuff up. Like I said, you have some short stories that give a background on Emery. Um, there's a background on Mesa. And yep, I actually have a puck one that's almost done um, cool, as well. Cool. Yeah, that's on Patreon. And those are really fascinating to me because you get a bit more of the background. How how did this person end up here? And it's fascinating and exhilarating and crushing. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, so I would, I would tell people, you know, in addition to reading the full-length novels, do, if you have a favorite character, there may well be a short piece that gives you the background on that character and how they got to the divide. Um, so definitely check that out. Is there anything, I mean, I'm going to leave you with, please just go and buy all the books. Buy all the books. Buy them in every edition, every form possible. Get the audiobooks. Get them in E. Give them to your loved ones, whether they want it or not. Um, Is there anything you would like to leave uh, the listeners of the podcast with? Um, Yeah, just thanks for listening, obviously. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed writing them and sharing them with you guys. Um, And yeah, you can get them wherever books are sold. And then my socials are all just at J.S. Dewis. Fabulous. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing yeah, thank you, this Jen. book with everyone. Thank you for sharing it with me. It was it, It's yeah. always a real privilege for me to take someone's creative child and put it out into the world. I, it's a special, special charge. So thank you for your time. And I look forward to doing another book with you in the future. Yeah, definitely. 
Thank you for listening. This has been J.S. Dewis and editor Jennifer Gunnels discussing The Last Watch audiobook. We'll now hear an excerpt from the second book in the Divide series, The Exiled Fleet. Chapter One Motherfucker, you better work! Kevlon slammed the access panel shut. Sweat stung his eyes, and he wiped away the moisture slicking his overgrown hair to his forehead. Days since he'd started this phase of the project. Twenty-three. Times he'd recalculated, reconfigured, or rebuilt this single fucking subsystem. Fourteen. Patience? Zero. This had to be it. It had to work this time, or he'd give up and activate it without any stupid core stabilization, then stand back and watch the damn thing supernova. Who tried to build a star aboard a fucking spaceship anyway? Bloody void. Thank you for listening to this special excerpt of The Exiled Fleet by J.S. Dewis. You can buy the Divide series wherever books or audiobooks are sold. And if you'd like to pre-order The Relentless Legion, you can find the links in the show notes. Don't forget to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to stay updated about new seasons. Thanks for listening.